This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Jeff Foster. Jeff teaches and shares from his own awakened experience a way out of seeking fulfillment in the future and into the acceptance of all this here and now. Jeff's teaching style is direct and uncompromising and yet full of humanity, humor, and compassion. He belongs to no tradition or lineage and makes his teaching accessible to all. In 2012, Jeff was voted by the Watkins Review to be one of the world's 100 most spiritually influential living people. With Sounds True, Jeff has written a new book called The Deepest Acceptance, Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life, and an accompanying audio program where he invites listeners to discover the ocean of who we are, an awareness that has already allowed every wave of emotion and experience to arrive. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Jeff and I spoke about how acceptance is actually what we are. We also talked about how to work with very practical concerns, like our fears of financial insufficiency. And we talked about the power of meeting someone, being with someone who is suffering or who is in pain and how to do this with an absolutely open embrace. And finally, Jeff and I spoke about the path of awakening that he's traveled through experiences of deep depression and some of the most important discoveries he's made. Here's my very real, honest, and helpful conversation with Jeff Foster. In the introduction to your new book, The Deepest Acceptance, you begin, Jeff, with a really strong statement, really strong definitive statement, and I want to begin our conversation there. Here's what you write. I teach one thing and one thing only, a deep and fearless acceptance of whatever comes your way. So to begin with, it's a strong statement to write the words, I teach one thing and one thing only. Yeah, well, you know, Tammy, this this is a it's a radical message, really, that I teach. It's not, I'd say, it wasn't for the faint-hearted, exactly. <laughs> it's um, what I'd say is a, a basic problem of humanity. Um, if you could speak about that, it's, it's that we've, on some level, we are afraid of life. You know, we've or we have become afraid of life, afraid of living. Um, 
you know, we spend so much of our time, it seems, turning away from life, you know, turning away from ourselves, like turning away from pain, turning away from fear, turning away from sadness, turning away from doubt. Um, and I'd say, you know, if I had to summarize um, everything that I teach, it's it's stop <laughs> turning away and and stay with life and turn towards life if you can and f- face what is actually here and and in the end you know come to know it as yourself you know life can so often it so often feels that life is somehow against us you know or um that life is doing something to us or, or that um life is going wrong or that life is not going our way um so my invitation is is stop and and look at what's actually here you know come out of your story of your life uh life is this life is that or this is going wrong that's going wrong or this will happen that will happen and just gently return to what's actually here you know, I, I talk about the constant invitation of life. I, I, I see life as a constant invitation to simply return home, in a sense, you know, return to what's actually in front of you, because that's really all you're ever dealing with, although it can often seem like it's so much more. Um, mm-hmm. And fa- to face what's here. Now, this idea of facing what's here, a deep and fearless acceptance of whatever comes your way. But, you know, obviously there are some really difficult things that mm-hmm. come people's way. And so as you're talking, I'm imagining some of those really difficult things. And somebody who says, you know, how do I really accept and fearlessly turn towards the grief that I have from something like losing a child or something that seems just unbearable? That's, that's so true. You know, um Sometimes life can get really, really challenging, and um, yeah, we are faced with these waves. I, I mean, I talk a lot, a lot in the book about all the waves in the ocean of you. You know, if you see yourself as this vast ocean, then um, all these waves are always appearing. Thought, thoughts, sensations, feelings—these are all the waves that appear in you. And I mean, as you said, um, absolutely, often the waves can get really intense. These are big waves, waves of fear waves of grief waves of sadness waves of fear waves of doubt and and waves of joy and waves of bliss i mean it's all allowed in you you know it's all um essentially what you are is the space for all of that but um as you said you know sometimes these waves can get so intense and and we i mean the truth is often we we don't know what to do with them you know um and despite all of our everything we've learned and all our spiritual evolution you know, all the experiences we've had and all the insights we've had and all the awakenings we've had, still, um, sometimes these waves appear, very intense waves of grief, as you said. Or like a tsunami, let's say. Someone's experiencing something like that, not some some wave, but something that seems like, oh my God, you know, this will, yeah, crush me. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it happens to the best of us. You know, it happens to the most supposedly awakened, enlightened people. You know, no, no one is um, immune from these these tsunamis. But that, that's um, 
it's part of the invitation though so so um you know a great place to start is actually just just to be totally honest about this is i you know I, this tsunami is is appearing this tsunami of grief this tsunami of fear and, and in this moment i don't know what to do with it it can be a very beautiful place to start you know rather than going into the whole story i don't know what to do with it and 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 what's wrong with me why can't i deal with it and it's going to overwhelm me and and you know all the uh the stories that we tell to actually come back to the truth of the moment which could be you know in the moment it could be i i just i do not know how to face this you know i i am um, often i i say that you know we we're told a lot about resistance you know there's a lot of these spiritual teachings they talk about um resistance and how we're always resisting the moment we should stop resisting the moment you know that we resist our pain we resist our fear and that we should stop um what i think what i would say is it's it's probably more true to say that no one's actively resisting their fear you know no one's actively resisting their grief it's it's probably more true to say that we just don't know how to be with our grief you know we don't know how to be with our fear it's not that we're resisting it it's more like we don't know how to sit with it, how to be with it. You know, maybe possibly because no one's no one's ever shown us how to sit with grief. You know, how how to be with grief. We're, we're taught, um, you know, from when we're very young, we're, we're taught not to feel so much of this stuff. You know, we're, we're taught that sadness is bad or, or fear is bad or anger is bad you know and, and so we spend so much of our time running away from these feelings um because really who who has ever shown us you know who who's ever held our hand in the midst in the midst of our grief in the midst of our pain in the midst of our doubt who has ever just sat with us and held our hand you know and for a moment not not try to fix us or change us or to get us to not feel that you know to get us to try and feel something different so it's it 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 seems to me that i mean we we've really forgotten or maybe we never knew how to be with these giant waves and that and as i said that that can be a beautiful place to start just to admit your your innocence, in a sense, you know, to to admit that with total humility. Actually, I I don't know how to be with this, and and to begin there. Now, what would you say to the person who says, you know, I don't know how to be with this overwhelming something, whatever it might be, whether it's fear or whatever, because of the intensity. There's too much intensity there. Sometimes mm-hmm. I hear from people, if I really let myself feel this thing. I'll start crying, and and they say I'll never stop crying. If I start crying, I'll mm-hmm. never stop crying. So, what would you say to that person who has a fear of the intensity? That's so, I mean, that's so true. You know, I, I mean, I, I often say it's. Um, I don't. Th- I don't think we're so much afraid of death. I don't think anyone's really afraid of death. I think it's more true to say we're afraid of life. You know, we're afraid of the the intensity of life because, as you say, it can get so intense. Um, and, and certainly over the past five, six years, you know, I've been traveling around the world, speaking to people and um, really going into this with them. And, and I, I hear that so often. You know, they say, say Jeff, I'm, uh, I'm afraid if, if I really just allow this grief just for one moment, 
if I truly allow this, if if this grief was if this grief was just let loose, if if it was unrestrained, if if I just stopped for a moment running away from it, I I fear that as you say, I fear that it would stick, it would never go away, or I feel that it, it would destroy me. I mean, we're we're really getting to some primal fears here. You know, the fear of being destroyed by this wave, the fear of you know, this wave will annihilate me, this wave will destroy me. You know. Or this wave, it will just overtake me. I, I, it will. I will become um, something. I mean, there's there's so many fears around. So so this is really where, where we get to the I mean the core message of my book, which is the deepest acceptance. Um, because I mean that's always the question is well how can I accept? You know, <laughs> it it seems easy to accept when things are going your way. You know, <laughs> when the waves are nice and gentle. You know, when, it, when it's a lovely sunny day in the ocean, the waves are nice and gentle. It seems easy to accept at the present moment. But then, you know, when when the waves become intense and the tsunamis arise, then the question is, well, yeah, but how to accept this? So we we try to accept these tsunamis, um, and this is what I say in the book. You know, there's so many people out there that I meet who are trying to accept this moment. You know, they're trying to allow the moment they're trying to say yes to the moment so there's there's a lot of trying that happens so we we try to accept the tsunami but because of the fears and because of the intensity we in that moment we we just feel unable to accept you know we we feel unable to allow what we're faced so then we're faced with the tsunami and <laughs> in the moment our our own inability to accept it you know our own inability our failure to accept it so then that becomes the truth of the moment is that there's this giant tsunami and there's this in this moment that there's a sense of inability to face it um and what, what what i say in the book actually that's that's not actually a failing of yours that's not actually a sign of your failure the fact that you feel unable to accept this moment actually there's there's a much deeper truth contained and contained there um and this is why i speak about the deepest acceptance um i mean I, I talk about acceptance not as something that we do um what i say in the book is actually acceptance is is who we are it's another name for you acceptance is an, another name for who you are so you know peace and rest and, and freedom and all, all the good stuff that we're looking for not actually a case of doing something to get there it's more a case of remembering how you're actually built you're built as acceptance that's that's your true nature now can you explain that a little bit more i'm not sure i'm following you exactly that acceptance is who we all are because you see a lot of people out there who don't seem to be particularly accepting well that's so true i mean we acceptance is is who we are it's how we're built and that's what we forget and i say that that's probably the problem of humanity and all, and all conflict and all suffering and all, all violence and all destructive behavior actually emerges from that forgetting of, of who we are. Um, so if you've ever meditated, maybe this is a, a way of um, talking about it in a more simple way. I mean, if you've ever meditated, you know, you, you're sitting there watching thoughts come and go, maybe watching sensations come and go. You know, and it starts to dawn on you that maybe you aren't who you thought you were. Because if thoughts can come and go, then they can't truly 
define who you really are because because who you truly are in your essence can't come and go it can't appear and disappear you know who who you truly are is always always here you know it's it's always present it's um i mean everyone has has that sense i think everyone in the world has that that basic sense of of being here you know, a basic sense of you know existing like right now in this moment you know in a way we can doubt everything we can doubt everything we're told everything we're taught except the fact that you know we exist right now there's there's a sense of being here it doesn't really matter where we are you know it's not being here or being there it's being where we are wherever we are in the world it's being being where we are and everyone has that sense you know and that's that's what i call the the ocean uh, the ocean of consciousness the ocean of awareness um you know so you're sitting in meditation and you you're noticing thoughts coming and going and feelings coming and going and sensations come and going and and you start to realize that actually who I am can't be thoughts, who I am can't be feelings, who I am in my essence can't be sensations because they all come and go. So that you start to notice that there's something here that doesn't come and go, that's always present. This 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 ocean of who you are, this, this is what I call it, the, the ocean of who you are. Um, so you start to notice that within that ocean of who you are, within this ever-present, you know, wide-open space of you. All the waves of life are always appearing and disappearing. Thoughts come and go, sensations come and go, feelings come and go. All the waves arise and dissolve in, in the ocean of you. And who you are always remains. Um, so when I talk about acceptance... Um, I'm talking about it in a, in a different way. Perhaps we've, we've used the word before. Um, so acceptance is not a case of me accepting. I have to accept this moment, or I have to accept this fear, or I have to accept this pain. You, you could say that on a deeper level, you know, who you are as the ocean is already accepting or allowing its, its waves. You know, every wave that arises in the ocean of you is, in a sense, already accepted. It's already allowed because it's appearing, because it's here. So if a thought is appearing, it means that on the, the deepest level, I mean, the, the ocean of you is already allowing that thought. You know, if a sensation is appearing right now in your present experience, it means that who you are, you know, the ocean of you, is allowing that sensation. It's it's allowing this feeling. It's allowing this sadness. It's allowing this pain. It's allowing this joy. You know, if 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 a wave is arising in you, it means on the deepest level that who you are, in a sense, has already said yes to it. Has already said yes to it. And in a sense, who you are has already said yes to this moment exa exactly as it is you see so um so these thoughts these sensations these feelings e even this this doubt or this confusion or this pain that's appearing right now you know on a deeper level who you are is allowing it who you are is accepting it you know who you are has said yes to it 
So even if it seems on a more on a surface level, even if it seems unacceptable to you, you know, even if it seems unacceptable to to the mind to thought, like, you know, your thought might say, "This sadness shouldn't be here," or thought might say, "This is too much sadness," or thought might even say, "This isn't enough sadness," because thought is always comparing. Um, but on a on a deeper level, who you are as the ocean is already allowing this sadness. It's, this sadness has already been welcomed into you. That's why it's here. I mean, in a way, this is, goes completely against our common sense and what we're taught, you know, and it's and it can seem even, I mean, when you first hear it, it can seem even crazy or, or, or confusing. Um, but really, I'd say it's not something, you know, it's not something that you believe. It's something that you begin to notice in your own experience. It's like life becomes this constant meditation, Noticing thoughts, noticing sensations, noticing feelings, and then noticing on a deeper level that you know whatever is arising in this moment, even if it's very intense you know, on the most basic level, it's not your enemy. I think that's that's the core realization I think that if sadness is arising in you, even if it's very intense, it's not your enemy it's no wave is against the ocean. You know, it's it's already being allowed in you. Um, and so what I would say is life is just this never-ending invitation to remember this this already accepted nature of present experience. So acceptance isn't something that you that you do. It's not, I accept this moment, or oh, I don't accept this moment. It's noticing on, on a deeper level that this moment has already been accepted. So, so that's what, what I mean when I talk about the deepest acceptance. It's, it's an acceptance that goes beyond I accept and I don't accept. And in a sense, it's 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 total surrender actually to life. It's total surrender. It's like recognizing your total humility um, in the face of life. But it's it's not it's not a place of powerlessness and passivity. Uh, I'd say it's the the absolute opposite because it's discovering this 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 inner built-in yes to life it's, it's a it's a yes to every moment not not as something that you have to strive to do it's not you know i have to strive to say yes because that's what becomes so exhausting i think is trying to accept this moment you know even when this moment becomes so difficult we try and we try and we try and we try and we try to accept it and it can become so exhausting trying to accept this moment um but even that, even that exhaustion is is part of the invitation. It's like to notice, in a way, to give up trying to accept, and and notice that on this deeper level, this moment has already been allowed in. These thoughts, these sensations, these feelings, these waves of experience have already arrived. You know, so it's it's too late, in a sense, to to fight them. You know, it's too late to accept them, and it's too late to fight them because they're already here. Is it fair to say, Jeff, using this metaphor of the waves in the ocean from a kind of practical, on-the-spot way that if somebody finds themselves deeply identified with some kind of very intense wave of experience that seems difficult or overwhelming, that if they shift their attention to the oceanic nature of our experience, that that makes room for this acknowledgement of 
acceptance? I mean, what do you think about that shifting to being the ocean versus identifying with the wave? Well, that's, I mean, that's it, really. It's all about remembering your true identity as, as this vast, spacious ocean, um, rather than identifying as this small, limited um, person. Um, every moment is this invitation to remember, actually, you're, you're much vaster than you ever imagined. You know, um, I think that's what goes to the core of so much suffering, um, especially, I mean, the people that I've met over the past few years, there's this sense that when we're suffering, that somehow we're we're too small, we're too limited to take this. You know, this this pain is too much for me, or this fear is too much for me, or this grief is too much for me. Um, that's how it can feel. But of course, it's. I mean, in reality, this moment is never really too much. Um, whatever is going on in this moment, even if this moment is very intense and full of pain and full of fear, you could say that there's something here that is already holding, it's already holding this moment, it's already embracing this moment, it's already allowing this moment to be, even if you feel personally you know, unable to bear this moment, you feel unable to take this moment, you feel unable to accept this moment, what you are as this vast oceanic space is already holding it, it's already holding the fear. So the... Um, I mean, suffering is really all to do with um, identification. So, for example, when, when there's a wave of fear, um, and it could be anything, it could be fear, it could be anger, it could be sadness, um, that's an invitation to remember who you are, that who you are in this moment is holding the fear, who you are is the space for that fear. You know, what, what I am in this moment is the space for this fear, uh, in a way, I'm I'm giving this I'm giving this fear space. You know, I'm giving this fear breathing room. I'm <laughs> I'm making it safe for this fear to express itself. I'm making it safe for this pain to express itself. I'm I'm making it safe for this sadness, for this doubt to express itself. I mean, in a way, it it's completely the opposite of everything we're taught about ourselves. You know, and it's it's like turns life upside down. But we, we remember ourselves as this, this vast ocean that is allowing these waves to be. In a sense, the, these waves, you know, a wave of fear is not the enemy. I mean, that's what we're taught, maybe. A wave of pain, a wave of sadness is not the enemy. It's, as the ocean, it's, you could say it's one of your children, you know. As the ocean you give birth to a wave of fear. You give birth to a wave of sadness. These are not enemies to be destroyed. These are children to be held, to be loved. In this moment, that that's um, life doesn't doesn't ask any any more of you than that. You're only facing this moment of fear. So the, when we go into the identification, when we forget our true identity, as as you said, you know this the ocean, this vast ocean, this vast space in which fear is appearing right now, when we forget how vast we are, we forget how spacious we are, we forget how loving we are in a sense, you know, how how deeply embracing we are, we, we start to identify with that wave. So instead of remembering ourselves as the vast ocean in which fear is coming and going right now, we identify as um, someone who is afraid. I think that that's the um the fundamental difference between 
remembering who you really are and forgetting who you really are. It's that identification. So we remember ourselves as as in this moment, and it's only in the moment because that, that's all there is ultimately. You know, we remember ourselves right now as this vast ocean in which this wave of fear is allowed. And we don't identify as, I am the one who is afraid, or I am the one who is sad, or I am the one who is in pain, I am the victim, because there's always some kind of victim story behind that, you know. So this is not, um, this is not a denial or a rejection of the wave. It's not pushing the wave away. It's not saying, oh, that, that fear can't touch me. You know, that, that fear, or oh, I'm, I'm beyond fear. You know, all the, all the kind of spiritual bypassing stuff that we do sometimes. It's not, it's not about that. It's about acknowledging that the fear is here. You know, acknowledging it, noticing it, and at the same time, remembering yourself as the wide open space that's holding that fear. So the fear is allowed to move in me. But ultimately, I, it doesn't define me. So it's both. You know, it's, it's like allowing the fear to fully express itself without pushing it away. Um, but at the same time, remembering yourself as, as this vast space. Now, Jeff, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm thinking about somebody who might have a fear, let's say, of financial insufficiency of some kind. Like, I'm just not Mm going to have enough money. And this is all great, this spiritual talk that Jeff's giving about remembering the oceanic nature of consciousness. But I really need to attend to this fear about not having enough money and kind of, you know, get it together here and mobilize. If I rest in this oceanic place and, you know, not really concern myself exactly with this fear, I'm not going to, you know, manifest practically the way I need to. How would you respond to that? Oh, that's, such, that's such a common question that, that I get. Um, you know, I, I get that question so often. You know, Jeff, this all sounds wonderful. You know, remembering myself as the ocean and coming back to the moment and deeply allowing. Yeah, but but how does that help me make money? And how does that pay my bills? And what about this? And what about that? Um, and I actually, I've asked you a question you get asked a lot, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I'm all right with that. <laughs> it's not an original question, Tammy. It's, it's okay. I'm I'm, I, I can I can roll. You can roll. That's good. Um, well, it was, it's interesting, actually. I was I was talking to a woman um, last week, and and we were having this conversation. And she was um, there was a possibility that she might lose her house in a few weeks, might not have anywhere to live. Um, and so when when she came to me, she was you know she was obviously full of anxiety and stress, and um, she was talking, talking, talking very, very fast. And yeah, what about this? And this might happen, and that might happen, and. And that could happen, and I might not have anywhere to live, and I might have no money, and I might be homeless, you know. Um, so there's a there's a relative reality to all of that, you know. It, it, that could happen. She she might in a few weeks she might um, have a house or not have a house or have money or not have money. But the point was that in this moment, in this moment, she was trying to work it all out. You know, she was trying to get all the answers right now. She was she was exhausting herself trying to fix her life in this moment you know and, and um so what i did I, I i invited her just to just just for a moment instead of trying to fix her life and, and come up with a solution right now you know and I, I wasn't saying that the solution would never come and i wasn't saying that she was never going to have money and i you know the point is in this moment in this moment she didn't know in in this moment she 
She hadn't found the answers yet. She hadn't found the solutions yet. They they might come. You know, and, and that's the funny thing, that's the strange thing that I find, and lots of people that I speak to, they find the same thing. Actually, when they do just um, come out of that complicated, stressful story, trying to solve the future, that's, that's what we do. We sit here in this moment trying to fix the rest of our lives. And it becomes so exhausting sometimes, you know, Sometimes it can be very beautiful just in this moment just to admit that we don't know yet, that we haven't got the answers yet. You know, and just just for a moment, just to relax and sink into this place of not knowing, sink into this place where we don't have the answers yet, sink into this place of mystery. And and then, like you said, what happens at that point, people go, yeah, but if I sink into the mystery, the bills won't get paid. If I sink into life, I'll lose my home. If I sink into life, I'll end up doing nothing. I'll end up becoming passive. You know, my life will fall apart. I think that's a very primal fear, actually. You know, if I sit here and just for a moment do nothing, my life will fall apart. But I think that's that's really fascinating. I think that's really fascinating that we have that fear. If I sit here and do nothing, just for one moment, because that's all we're asking my whole life will fall apart. So it was interesting with the, with this woman I was speaking to. Um, I just gently invited her to come back to, to breathing and, and begin to just feel the sensations in her body and, and just feel the fear, actually. You know, where where, where was the fear in her body? And she, she pointed to her, her stomach and her neck and, um, her, sorry, her throat and just to bring some attention, I just asked her to bring some attention back to you know, the, the life, actually, the life that she was, the, the life that was actually moving in her, the tingly, alive sensation you know, that was moving in her now. Like to come out, in a way, to come out of the story of my life, you know, my life and my problems and my solutions. And um, In three weeks' time, I'll be homeless to come out of that, this, just for a moment, the story of my life, and in a sense, return to life, you know, to remember the, the life that you are, to remember the life that she that, that she was. And then what was really interesting is, um, she just allowed herself to actually feel, you know, the sensations in her body, and actually feel the fear, rather than running away from the fear, trying to solve the fear. Because in a way, that, that's all she was doing. She was trying to fix present fear. She was trying to get rid of present fear by solving the story of her life, by fixing the story of her life. Like She was coming out of life, in a way, and going into the story of my life. And, but the point is, it wasn't working. You know, It was just causing exhaustion and stress, and no answers were coming. The answers hadn't come yet. And what was really interesting is that she just relaxed into her body and actually started to honor the fear rather than running away from it. Started to acknowledge it, to honor it, and even to share it with me. You know, to to meet fear, actually. Not to fix, try to fix fear or push it away, but to actually meet it. That's when she started to relax and... and um, And suddenly, you know, her life didn't seem like such a disaster. And suddenly, you know, it wasn't such a catastrophe. And and the funny thing is, you know, from that place, 
you know, that's that's the the creative place. You know, the the mystery of this moment. That's that's the source of all creativity. And the, and if answers are going to come, this is where they come from. The, the mystery of the moment. They don't come in in the story of three weeks' time. They, the the answers that we long for. They they emerge in their own sweet time, you know, out of this mystery. And, and the, it's like the mind <laughs> is trying to solve. It's very sweet. The mind is trying to solve our lives for us. You know, and it's a beautiful. The mind is a beautiful tool, and we don't want to get rid of it, and we don't want to make it into the enemy. But sometimes um, life just invites us to to come out of that story of my life and solving my life and fixing my life, and just remember the mystery, the mystery that you are. Now, Jeff, in this story, you directed this person, helped this person sit with the feeling of fear that was in her body. And it seems like that's a really important step and one that can be hard for people, especially if they haven't trained, at least in my experience, in some form of embodied focus and attention. How do you help people stay with that, stay with the physiology of what's happening inside them? Well, I, I mean, I guess what I do, I, I guess if if I could summarize what I do with people is, is, I don't do very much, actually. I don't experience myself as doing very much with people. Uh, for me, it's it's more about meeting, it's more about meeting them, you know. Um, I think so often when we, we sit with someone, we we meet someone, we're in a conversation with someone, and they're expressing. Um, fear or they're expressing pain or they're um feeling doubt or confusion so quickly we we rush to help them or fix them or solve their problems for them um you know if someone is is experiencing a lot of fear you know, maybe out of compassion you know this is well this you know out of love we try to stop them feeling what they're feeling um, or we quickly offer solutions, or maybe we even pretend to have some kind of answer. Um, and what, what, what I tend to do with people is I don't I don't do that so much. Um, I find that what what truly heals. I mean, this is my own experience with people. Um, what truly heals is this meeting, is this being with. You know, I, I I'll sit with someone who's experiencing a lot of fear. You know, and they and they're going into their fearful story of this will happen, that will happen, I won't be able to eat, I'll be homeless, you know, I'll I'll, I'll die, I'll I'll end up in a ditch somewhere. Um and I don't I don't give them answers, you know, I don't try and fix them. Um I don't pretend to have the solutions. Um I'm just very honest about that, you know. I don't, I don't pretend to know any more than they do. Um, but what I, I think I do, and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say it was a doing actually, is I, I just provide the space for for them to meet their own fear, you know. Because if, if I'm if I'm able to sit there and meet them as they are, and not turn away from them, and not try to fix them, and not 
you know, give them easy answers or, or try to prove what a wonderful teacher I am because I know so much. I, it doesn't interest me, you know. It doesn't interest me. Um, what interests me is really meeting. Um, because I, I, as I was saying before, um, I think that that's what we've forgotten. It seems to me that's what we've forgotten. That's what we've forgotten as a as a species. Um, we've forgotten basically how to be with ourselves. I think that that's actually where all of our suffering begins. Is, is this forgetting of who we are, which is the forgetting basically of how to sit with ourselves, how to sit with our fear. You know, no one's ever shown us how to how to sit with fear. People have people have taught us throughout our lives how to get rid of fear, how to escape fear. You know, how to, how to turn fear into something else. But who's ever shown us how to be with fear in the moment of fear? You know, with facing the fact of fear, sitting there, facing the fact of fear in the in our in the present moment. Who has ever shown us how to just stay there? We're given so many techniques and solutions and methods of ha- of how to get rid of stuff. Um, so hopefully, I mean, what what I do with people, I I I because perhaps because of my own experiences over the years, I'm I'm far more able these days to sit with my own experience. You know, I'm far more able to sit with fear, to sit with sadness, to sit with confusion, to sit with doubt in myself, because I, I've learned over the years not to run away from it i've learned that actually running away from this moment does not provide what we truly long for however paradoxical that sounds you know it's actually this turning towards this staying stay 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 that that's i think that's the constant invitation of life is stay 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 even if even if in this moment you feel that you can't stay like stay with that stay with that so i think because for whatever reason, I'm more able these days to stay with my own experience. I'm far more able as well to stay with someone else's experience and not run away from it and not try to fix it. I think you're actually pointing to something really important, which is the power of being with another person when we can unconditionally accept whatever it is they're going through. I mean, I think you're actually Mm -hmm. pointing here to something really important about how we can be there for others. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think this—I mean, I think it's the very essence of healing I mean, in, in the true meaning of the word. I, I mean, what I would say is, I mean, for me, healing has nothing to do with with the running away. It's got nothing to do with fixing. Healing has nothing to do with fixing yourself. It's got nothing to do with fixing people. It's um, it's all about this staying. This, this staying with our experience, even if in the moment we feel like running away, even if it feels so uncomfortable, to stay there, you know. And even if we're, we're sitting with someone who's experiencing a lot of um, sadness or, or doubt or confusion um, or anger, you know, we're, we're sitting there with someone who's in that moment they're expressing anger towards us, and it's aimed at us, and, and they're, you know, they're. they're calling us names and they're saying that we did these things and they're judging us and you know and and often what happens at that point is we feel we start to feel uncomfortable we start to feel hurt we start to feel uncomfortable um we might even start to feel the urge to run away um either literally run away or 
um, psychologically run away from them by just withdrawing and numbing ourselves to them, pushing them away psychologically. Or we might even we might even feel the urge to attack them, you know, because we feel attacked, we feel hurt, and we don't know how to be with our own hurt. We feel hurt, and we don't know how to stay with that. We don't know how to be with that. So we lash back at them. You know, there's that urge to lash back at them. So this this, this is the invitation, I think, of life, and this is the invitation that I offer, and, and this is the invitation I speak about in my book. It's going to stay. Can we, can we just stay there in that place, even if in the moment there's a lot of discomfort moving in us or there's a lot of hurt moving in us? Can we stay with our own experience? Because in the end, that's all we can know. Can we stay with our own experience, even if there's hurt? even if we feel hurt you know and can we find can we find the place in that moment where that wave that intense wave of hurt moving in us is allowed to be there can we can we find our inherent vastness you know can we in that moment can we just stop and notice that who we are is is vast enough who we are is oceanic who we are is big enough to contain that hurt to hold that hurt even if it's burning, even if it's very intense, even if there's there's a strong urge to run away or the strong urge to push the other person away or attack them or fix them, you know, or manipulate them or try to change their experience. Um, Can we stay with all of that? Can we find the place where actually all of that, all of those waves moving in us just for this moment, are, are allowed to be here? Can we remember that who we are is vast enough to, to hold that hurt? And, th- and then to meet the other person in that place of deep acceptance. You know, and, and this is... Um, I mean, I've had so much experience with this over the past few years. I mean, especially being a teacher, you know. Um, I think it's 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 one thing having, having all these insights and... and um, you know, having awakening experience, but it's a whole it's a whole other world going out and teaching it. You know, because you're really you're exposing yourself to all kinds of situations and all kinds of people. You know, and you're really opening yourself up for for attack and for people to disagree with you and to not like how you teach or to not like what you're saying because it's of course it's really challenging. You know, a lot of the stuff I, I talk about it can seem quite challenging to people and, and it's understandable. So I've been in situations many situations the past few years where I've I've been, yeah, I mean, I've been sitting with someone and they've been very angry with me or or they've, um, um, you know, disagreeing with me very, very strongly and um, calling me this and calling me that. I mean, it hasn't happened a lot, but I've certainly experienced this. And for me, it's always an invitation to deeply allow that, you know, in that moment to just deeply allow whatever waves it brings up in me. You know, because I, I'm not immune. There's no such thing as anyone who is immune from life. And I think we have this funny idea that awakening, or some people have this funny idea that awakening or enlightenment is a place of numbness or a place where you don't feel all these waves. You, you don't feel sad anymore or you don't feel pain anymore or, you, or the waves have somehow become a lot more gentle. Um, but in my own experience, actually, it's the other way around. Um, because the waves are allowed to move, actually, <laughs> the waves become a lot more intense. 
the waves mm. become a lot more intense because you know you seem to lose you, it's like you lose interest in pushing them away mm-hmm. like you lose interest in numbing yourself to life because you want to live mm-hmm. you know i i spent the first 25 years of my life i was basically dead you know i was numb i was absolutely numb to myself and to other people so i'm not interested in numbing myself to life anymore you know i'm not interested in pretending to be the enlightened one who doesn't feel anything it doesn't seem possible it doesn't seem human mm-hmm. you know and um what really interests me these days is meeting other human beings in this place of deep acceptance you know noticing all these waves moving in myself and finding the place where they are all allowed to be there that they're all held you know and that's how actually that's how um we stop turning against the one in front of us you know that that's how we can break the cycle of violence and conflict um because we're allowing ourselves to feel hurt just in this moment and we're remembering ourselves as the vast unlimited open space of consciousness that allows this wave of hurt it it doesn't reject hurt it says yes to hurt however strange that sounds it says yes to hurt you know um in a strange way that's how we don't become hurt by discovering this this inner yes to hurt and that's how we we don't identify that's how we stop the identification of oh i am the hurt one i am i am the hurt one you hurt me i am the hurt one i am the victim of you that's i think that's where all violence that's where all conflict begins is with that identification as some kind of victim you know you hurt me you hurt me so remembering ourselves as this vast ocean in which the hurt is allowed so it's not pretending the hurt isn't there it's not pretending the hurt isn't there it's acknowledging it it's feeling it deeply but it's allowing that hurt to move in you so it doesn't get stuck you know it doesn't get stuck it it flows and it moves and you remember that on the deepest level it can't hurt you like what you are as the ocean isn't going to be hurt by this it might hurt but you won't get hurt and i think that's, that's the fundamental realization and that, and that's how i guess in my own experience i'm able to stay with people you know even when they're ex- even when they become quite violent or agitated or or um angry to stay with them because it, i mean underneath all of that of course you know you see their pain you know you 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 meet their pain and and that's that's where compassion can begin is is when you remember that all this destructive behavior behavior isn't coming from it it's coming from pain you know it's coming from unmet pain it's coming from unmet pain they 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 simply are not able in this moment to meet themselves so maybe i can meet them mm-hmm. you know and that's for me that that's really what it's all about in the end is um life is all about this meeting like meeting ourselves meeting our own pain our own fear our own bliss our own joy meeting all those waves in ourselves and meeting the one in front of us in in the same way actually because in the end it's the same meeting you know we're, we're really just meeting ourselves i mean it's it's become a bit of a cliche these days but it's it's so, it's so true we really are only meeting ourselves in disguise 
we're not nearly as different as we like to believe. Yeah. Mm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. Sounds True hosts an annual wake-up festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. This is a gathering of spiritual teachers, artists, poets, and anyone interested in the many faces of awakening. For more information about the Wake Up Festival, please visit SoundsTrue.com forward slash wake up. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, Jeff, there's uh, so many things that I could talk to you about and that I want to talk to you about, so we're going to have to have another one of these conversations soon. But in the meantime, I have a sense that our listeners might be curious about you. I mean, here you are, you have this beautiful British accent, and uh, you're, they may not know, but you're a young person. You're in your early 30s. Is that right? That's, that's true. Yeah, I'm 30. What am I? 32, I think. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. Something, and, it's, around, yeah, it's around 32. I can confirm that later for you. And thank you. We can we can check the records, find your birth certificate or whatever. But you know what's interesting, I think, and what I think people would love to hear more about is your own process. You talked about how the first 25 years of your life that you now in retrospect see that you were quote unquote numb. But I'm curious to know, uh, you've written a little bit about how depressed you were to the point of a, a type of suicidal depression. Mm-hmm. But then your situation changed. You had some breakthroughs, some insights, and here you are now helping other people. So tell us a little bit about your own story here, especially the depression and what shifted that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I was always um, I was always a depressed child, depressed teenager. You know, life... If I had to sum it up, you know, life always felt so heavy for me. I, I, I would wake up every morning, and this—I mean, this was 25 years of this. Ever since I can remember, you know, I, I would wake up every morning, and life just felt heavy, 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 heavy. Um, and um, I was—I was intensely shy. I mean, intensely self-conscious. I—I—I I, I don't think I. I mean, I've barely spoke to anyone until I was about 20, um, which is quite it's quite ironic, you know, considering these days I go around the world um, speaking to people and doing meetings and workshops. So it's, it's funny how life can change like that. But, um, I mean, I, I was I was intensely self-conscious, and, uh, I mean, it became worse and worse, and I, 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 I was just filled with so much self-loathing, and, and um, I hated the way I looked. I hated... Um, I just hated myself. Um, I, I just felt in, totally inadequate and um, uh, totally, my, my life totally lacked any kind of intimacy. I mean, I was unable to share anything with anyone. I was terrified um, of expressing myself to anyone, you know, out of this, this deep fear that if they really saw what was going on in me, you know, if they really saw who I was, if they saw beyond the facade, 
they they would reject me or they would laugh at me or they would um never want to speak to me again you know so i i just i just i was someone who just i kept everything everything in really um and i never had i really never had any friends i never had anyone to speak to really this was this was all i was kind of dying on the inside um and it got it got worse and worse um really through university it got worse and worse and i in my I think I was twenty, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. I can't really remember. I was uh, living in London, um, working in the BBC. Actually, I, I thought I was going to go into television back then. Um, working in a night shift, I hated my job, and I, 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 I was in this relationship with this girl, um, and it was very obsessive. And I thought she was the one. She was going to complete me. I had found my soulmate, and and she um, didn't agree. And uh, and that all fell apart, and I, I just I mean I just hit I hit rock bottom, and I think around the same time I got quite ill as well. I ended up in hospital, um, so really I, I, it was a, it was a kind of breakdown. I mean, I look, looking back, I can say it was a kind of breakdown. But I think I think something had to something had to shift, you know, something had to break down. It couldn't go on the way it was going on. Um, I think one. Um, one event that really started to change things was I, I, I had some some kind of near-death experience. I mean, I realize it was that now. Maybe at the time I didn't realize it, but it was um, it was some kind of near-death experience. I, I one day, I mean, I, I was I was I was at rock bottom. I was absolutely at rock bottom, and I I, I was took the day off work because I felt so bad, and I um, I suddenly felt the need to run into the bathroom and I started vomiting and I was vomiting blood um, and I started to panic and then I started to lose consciousness and I fainted um, and I woke up I, I don't know how long it was afterwards maybe five ten minutes later and I was I had fallen into my shower um, and there was blood all over the shower um, and I remember not being able to breathe and I and I tried to scream for help and nothing would come out and um I really had the sense well this this is it you know you hear these stories sometimes about people vomiting blood out of nowhere and then 5 minutes later they're dead and I and it really I mean it shook me to my core it absolutely shook me to my core like lying there with blood all around me not being able to scream not being able to get up I was like this is it then this is the end this is this is how the story ends you know um and I think I think that was the start of something. Now, Jeff, just to ask a question. At this moment, did you have you know the kind of classic near death experience where you leave your body and all of that, or was it more that you just had a complete sort of freak out experience that you found yourself in a pool of blood in the shower? Yeah, I think it's it was more a case of just absolute. It was absolute existential terror. And the likes of which I'd never experienced before. I mean, I'd experienced fear of death before in my life, but this was like an encounter with. Um, it it was like. I mean, it's, I don't remember much about it, but I do remember being very, very shaken by it, and um, it really set something off in me. It set, it set something off in me. It was like, my God, death is so close. Like at any moment we can drop dead. So what the hell am I doing with my life? 
you know, it, I start, it started to get these questions churning in me, questions I'd never, ever, ever asked before. Because um, I, I was a real kind of, um, I mean, I, I'd been educated as a scientist. I had a very rational mind, and I was, I was a total atheist at that point. No interest in spirituality, no interest in anything to do with spirituality at all. It was all just gobbledygook. It was all just made up, you know. But this started something because I, in my own experience, I felt I'd, I'd come close to, to death of some kind, or at least the, the realization um, that death is so close and life is so precious. I think I think that's what it started off in me was this sense, you know, my God, like this life is so precious, this moment is so precious. What the hell am I doing with my life? You know, I'm working in a job that I hate. I'm. I'm I feel totally constrained and held back and I'm I'm not nearly beginning to live any kind of life that I that I want to. It's it's like I was living some kind of robotic secondhand life, you know. Go to school, go to university, get a degree, go and get a job, you know, get married. I I, I was on that um treadmill. So you could say in a in a sense you hit bottom at that moment, would that be fair to say? I I I think I I hit my first bottom. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> there were more bottoms to come, <laughs> but that first bottom definitely set something off in me. Um, so I, I, I mean, I found myself in hospital a few hours later, and, and I remember very clearly I, I reached out. I, I found myself reaching out to a copy of the Bible, which was in one of the drawers by my hospital bed. It's something I never would have done in my whole life before that. So something in me was was. It's like the seeker was born somehow. The spiritual seeker had been born looking for answers, looking for some kind of meaning to life. Like, what does all of this mean in the face of death? Like, what is death and what is life and who am I? I mean, it really, these questions started moving in me, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I mean, I, I needed the answers to these now. I needed the answers. This, this wasn't a game anymore. You know, I, I needed to know who I was and I needed to know what death was and like who dies uh, and what does life mean and all these questions so that's really i mean for the next year couple of years like, i became a totally obsessed spiritual seeker um i read and i read and i read and i i mean i read every book about awakening and enlightenment i could get my hands on um but for me, I think it was all about death, really. It was all about death, and it was about suffering as well. Um, I think at some point I, I read some book of, about Buddhism and about enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment. I'd never heard of spiritual enlightenment before. Um, but suddenly this this was, like, I needed this. You know, <laughs> spiritual enlightenment, this is this is going to be the end of all my suffering, because I had suffered so much. I had been, I was suffering so much, Um um, so it became this obsessive, year-long, two two years maybe, obsessive search for spiritual enlightenment. I mean, that's really I I locked myself away. Um, I, I went I moved back to live with my parents for a while. I I locked myself away quite literally in my room, maybe for a year, two years. I mean, it's 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 all a bit blurry now. Um, and I I. I read and I read and I read and I started meditating and um, all kinds of self-inquiry and practices. But it was all with the aim of becoming enlightened, you see. It was all with some future goal in mind. One day I will become enlightened and all my suffering will end. 
Um, well, we need to keep going with your story here because I think at this point, many listeners may be identifying with you in a certain sense. Like, yes, I also, you know, mm. not not had, but have this deep passion to know who dies. That's why I listen to mm. Insights at the Edge podcasts ad nauseum again and yeah. again and again, many listeners. And so keep going, Jeff, because beyond this, you had some types of breakthroughs that really led you to your work with the deepest acceptance. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was an incredibly intense um, couple few years actually. I became, as I said, I became totally obsessed with enlightenment, and I was really doing everything I could um, to become enlightened. I, I never actually went to any teachers. I never went actually went to any workshops or uh, retreats or satsangs or seminars or anything. Um, I guess that was just my character at the time. You know, I, I had this fire in me and I kind of wanted to do it all myself. I had I had this sense. I remember, you know, a long time ago having this very strong sense um, that if there is any such thing as, as peace, if there is any such thing as, you know, freedom, if there is any such thing as, as awakening, I'll find it on my own. You know, I'll find it here. I'll find it here in in this in my room i'll find it here in my backyard I, I had that i had that sense from the very beginning and maybe it was a kind of stubbornness or maybe it was a kind of shyness i didn't i didn't i was still so shy i didn't want to reveal myself to other people or i was going to keep myself to myself and do it all myself I, I don't know what i was thinking actually um but it was this kind of obsessiveness it was this i i'm going to do this myself um and i started reading all the books about you know enli- enlightenment the enlightened teachers and the breakthroughs they had had and the, the enlightenment experiences and one day they were walking down the road and suddenly the self fell away and you know they were all the you know the story of Eckhart Tolle you know he's lying in bed and suddenly it all becomes clear you know so I I started um trying to make this happen for myself because I mean back then this is what I thought awakening was I thought it was some kind of event that would happen one day you know some experience that would happen one day. So I, as I mean, as the months went on, I, I became more and more obsessive, really. Um, and I mean, I had all kinds of insights, you know, over the months, years. Actually, I had all kinds of insights, you know, all kinds of experiences, as many spiritual seekers do along the way. Now you you have moments, we you know, hours, days sometimes of just deep bliss and peace, and then that passes, and you want you want that experience back, or, or you have some kind of experience of total oneness, and then that passes, and or you have some experience of no thought, thought disappears for, you know, minutes, hours, days. I mean, you don't even know anymore. But then that passes, thought comes back, and so I would have all these experiences. Um, I think as many people do, um, but something it still wasn't satisfied. Like I, I, it was I was still looking for something. I didn't, and it got to the point actually. I didn't even know what I was looking for anymore. Actually, I didn't even know what I was looking for. But I just felt I had to keep on looking. Like it, it can't be this. It can't be my present experience. Whatever it is, whatever I'm looking for. Whatever the spiritual teachers are promising, the gurus, the spiritual teachers, whatever they're promising, it can't be my present experience. I mean, that that was the basic sense. Was it, it was some, whatever I was looking for was somewhere else. It was in the future. Um, so no, no matter what I did, I couldn't get there. 
I mean, obviously, I couldn't get there. Because, you know, the, the experiences would come and go, the experiences of just total bliss, total, you know, orgasmic bliss. Beautiful, but they would pass. And then, like, I was always waiting for, like, the final experience, you know, the, the final enlightenment awakening experience, and it would never come. I was really hooked on that. I was really hooked on that idea of a few, you know, future, future awakening. Re- really hooked. And and in my experience, I mean, that that seemed to be what some of the spiritual teachers were, were talking about. At least the ones I was reading, um, that awakening was something in the future. You know, it was something that would happen one day. So really, I mean, the the upshot of all of this is, I became totally, totally exhausted. I mean, I totally was exhausting myself. Um, and I, I really just lost touch with the outside world. You know, I'd gone into my little cave. I, 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 had, I didn't have any relationships at that point. I didn't have any friends left. I don't think. Um, I wasn't really talking to anyone about my experiences. Um, I mean, there were some points. Sometimes I even thought I was enlightened. You know, I went through that as well. I, I I had certain experiences and I came to the conclusion, right, I'm enlightened. I'm fully enlightened. You know, I, I would go to bed at night <laughs> believing that I was fully enlightened. You know, and then of course I'd wake up in the morning and forget it. You know, it's, it was, um, I was driving, I mean, I was really driving myself mad, but I couldn't find a way out, you know. Um, so it just, it got to this point of total exhaustion with the whole spiritual anything spiritual really i mean i was i was just drowning in these spiritual concepts you know and i and at that point i had gotten into advaita and non-duality uh, which some of listeners might have heard of you know and i was grappling with all these <laughs> concepts like there is no me and there's no self and there's no time and there's no space and there's no choice and all this stuff was swimming around my head and um so it reached this point of total exhaustion. And, well, there's one one um, experience that, that I, I remember that I talk about sometimes. Um, it wasn't really an experience so much, because, I mean, that's what I'd been waiting for, was some big experience, you know. some I was looking for my salvation through, through experiences. and Actually, what happened, I can't really say it was much of an experience. It was more like a remembering of something that perhaps I had forgotten. Um, uh, so I remember very distinctly um, one one day I, I was, um, I think I was just lying in bed in my, in my bedroom in my parents' house, um, totally exhausted, totally just frazzled from all the spiritual seeking, just tired of the whole thing, you know, and I'm never going to become enlightened, but I can't give up looking. You know, that that was the sense. I've tried everything, nothing's worked. Everything that I do to try and become awakening seems to, even everything I do to try and become awakened seems to take me further away from it. So I was lying there on my bed, um, in my bedroom, and this was the bedroom that I'd, I'd grown up in. You know, this was the same bedroom, uh, and I just remember, for some reason, I, I just glanced over at um, a chair. I was just, I was just looking at the chair in my bedroom. And this was a chair that I'd seen, I mean, thousands of times before. Like it had been there since I was a child. It was it was an old, familiar chair. <laughs> um, 
And I guess suddenly something just clicked or dawned on me or I remembered something or something became obvious. I mean, it's very hard to actually put it into words because it, it wasn't this big thing, really. It was it was the sense of, oh, of course. Oh, of course. Um, it was like something very familiar, something I had always known, like something that had always been on the tip of my tongue, something that had always been with me. It, it wasn't like a new experience. It was something that had always been with me. And it, there was a sense that, oh, oh my God, um, this this moment is what I'm looking for. This moment is what I've always been looking for. Um, this... I mean, this might sound really strange, but there was a sense, oh my God, it's it's the chair. It's the chair. Because I've been, like, for, for, for years, I mean, maybe for my whole life, actually, I'd always been looking for something, not even knowing what it was, and especially as a spiritual seeker, I'd been looking for enlightenment, this big experience, the, the fireworks, I'd wanted the fireworks, you know. Um, where is oneness, where is oneness and there was a sense in, in that moment oh, oneness is this, it's it's already here whatever you're looking for Jeff it's already here you know and this this, 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 this didn't come in words you know it didn't come, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't really the mind understanding this it was much deeper than that it was much more primal than that it was um you know, whatever you're, whatever you've been looking for, Jeff, you were never going to find it outside of what is actually here. You know, and and I remember, I remember at that point, I I was I, but I think I burst into tears. I was I was weeping. I was I was weeping. I think it went on for about an hour actually, because there was just this sense of, I mean, total humility actually, and and, and gratitude. Um, it was like gratitude for a chair. It's, it's very hard to um, ex- explain, really. It was like something as ordinary and as simple as a chair. I, I've been overlooking this my whole life because I've been looking for something. I've been looking for something else, something more, you know, wanting success or wanting enlightenment or wanting whatever. And I've been I've been overlooking the chair, which has always been here, right? offering itself freely, asking nothing, like life, you know, life itself has always been here, offering itself, and I've always been ignoring it. I've always been pushing it away, or ignoring it, or trying to get rid of it, or being ashamed of it, or just not acknowledging it. And it was like, for the first time, I was acknowledging the chair, however strange that sounds, you know. And then I, I remember um, looking around, and and I, you know, my attention moved from the chair to the to the carpet. It's just very ordinary carpet, and there was just this sense of, oh my goodness, it's it's also the carpet. <laughs> it sounds it sounds funny when you talk about it, um, but it's whatever I've been longing for, you know, on the deepest level, it's appearing right now as this chair and this carpet. And I, I remember you know, walking around the house, um, looking at everything as, as if for the first time. I mean, it really was. It sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it really was like seeing everything for the first time. Just seeing everything in the house without Jeff, actually. You know, seeing what life was like without Jeff, without the seeker, without Jeff looking for something. You know, this, without this Jeff character who always felt incomplete and who always was looking for some kind of future completeness. It was seeing life without Jeff. 
you know the and the carpet and the walls and 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 the lights and and then opening the window and I remember looking outside and I was like, oh oh my goodness there's also this there's also all of that you know it was like there's also trees and cars and roadworks and and dogs and dogs making a mess and 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 you know there's there's houses and there's and there's there's all of it it's like all of it and 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 then I remember looking down at my body I was like oh my god this is also part of it because for so long I've been stuck in all these spiritual ideas that you know the body was somehow an enemy or enlightenment was the end of the body or that we should get rid of the body or we should transcend the body and it's like this realization turned everything on its head it turned everything on its head because now I I knew now and this really hasn't changed I think this was the fundamental fundamental realization this really hasn't gone away so one thing that really hasn't gone away is this sense that whatever is arising right now you know whether it's um it's chairs and it's carpets and it's trees and it's cars or it's it's thoughts it's sensations it's feelings it's these waves in you know, a wave of sadness or a wave of fear on the deepest level this is all um sacred this is all sacred and it's all uh it's all beloved in in a way that the mind will never comprehend you know i I had spent so many years trying to understand this intellectually or trying to reach some intellectual understanding and I I guess I realized at that point is this isn't something to be understood intellectually it's it's about noticing what is present what is here what what is given what is given you know and it's so I remember looking looking down at the body and the that that the hands and the feet and the legs and the hair and the and all the imperfections you know all the, all the imperfections suddenly just seen without the seeker without the story of perfecting myself in the future without the story of becoming enlightened seen in in the light of this embrace actually or I, even my imperfections were so perfect in a sense like they were all just perfectly positioned yeah, you know, everything was in it. There was a sense everything was in its right place in in a way that I could never comprehend. And that this wasn't a, like a um, an intellectual game I was playing with myself. It wasn't like believing that everything was perfect. It was actually seeing this inherent perfection that was not at war with imperfection. I think that was like the fundamental realization. It completely destroyed all of my old concepts about what perfection was. I think I, before that I'd always seen perfection as some future state or perfection was about getting rid of imperfection. This turned the whole thing on its head because now perfection was all about this total embrace of imperfection, this embrace of thoughts, sensations, feelings, sounds and smells. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I just remember falling to my knees and just weeping. I think I, I wept for a long time I think I just wept everything out really um, so I think that that experience or non-experience or whatever we want to call it I think that really broke the back of something you know that really was the beginning of the end of, of my I guess my spiritual seeking um, and I think it it really it's like my whole life turned around after that really because now life was no longer about me, Jeff, 
trying to get somewhere or me, Jeff, looking for something or me, Jeff, trying to become enlightened. It was all about this remembering um, that every thought, every sensation, every feeling is on the deepest level um, sacred and, and um, accepted by life, not not by me. It's it's accept it's accepted and acceptable to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mean from that point, you know, it's it's not that oh after that point all my suffering fell away and everything was perfect. And you know, I think we love those awakening stories, but I've never met anyone who that's actually true for. You know, they have an awakening experience, then all their suffering falls away and it never comes back. Um, but I think what this experience did, do, or this non-experience, or whatever you want to call it, I think what it did do for me is it it, um, it completely changed my relationship with suffering. Because um, I I, what I realized was basically suffering was, uh, at the most basic level, suffering was and is the pushing away of life. Suffering is our attempt to escape what's here, to run away from what's here, to deny what's here. You know, it's, it's a forgetting of who we really are. You know, we it's a forgetting of this already accepted nature of experience that thoughts, sensations, feelings are on the deepest level already allowed in us in this moment. Um, so, so the end of suffering. Now, now I realize that the end of suffering wasn't some big event that was going to happen one day. It was the end of suffering was actually contained in my present experience. You know, it was it was this remembering to turn towards what's here. Hmm. Um, and so then, what, what I saw was, that, you know, every time I suffered, every time I was struggling in my life, it was actually an invitation. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't. It wasn't um, a punishment. It was an invitation that in that moment I was forgetting something. You know, and and I mean, uh, the years. I mean, this was about this was about seven, eight years ago, I think. You know, and, and I faced all kinds of things the past seven, eight years. You know, um, relationship struggles and and um, physical pain and. Um, my my father is quite ill at the moment and i mean there've been all kinds of challenges um and challenges you know becoming a teacher because that was unexpected and and being asked to go out there and talk to people and and being asked all kinds of challenging questions and um opening myself up to all of that um and not you know and not becoming resisting the urge to become some kind of enlightened guru you know who's going to save the world you know, really always checking myself, um, but I wasn't becoming too attached to this idea of myself as a, as a teacher and as a some kind of saviour who had all the answers, you know. So I faced, I mean, all kinds of challenges over the past few years. Um, but in each and every case, it's it's you know, it's really been a case of staying with what was arising and, and, and staying with the sadness and staying with the pain, staying with the, the confusion and the doubt um, and, and knowing, like knowing that really this is all an invitation. It's all just an invitation to remember. Um, but I think that, that experience with, with, with the chair, um, that, that remembering of something so familiar 
I mean, that that really, that's still basically there. You know, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what experiences I'm having, um, no matter how intense the waves of life become, there's this there's this deeper knowing that these waves are allowed to be here. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's like an honoring of of life. Mm-hmm. It's like an honoring. It's an honoring of the life that is moving in me, and it's. I think that's. It seems to me that that's what we forget. You know, as, as human beings, and you, I mean, you look in the world, and there seems to be so much conflict and fear and 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 stress, and um, it seems to me. It all stems, all human conflict and violence and, and, and suffering stems from this basic, basic, basic forgetting of who we are. We like we stop honouring life. You know, when we stop honouring life, we suffer. When we stop seeing the sacredness in each and every moment, in each and every thought, sensation, feeling, that's the birth of suffering. But then even our suffering is part of the invitation to remember. You know, we don't want to make suffering into this new enemy that we have to destroy. Suffering is an invitation. If if we can see it that way, you know, it's, um, because some, you know, when when you're suffering, it certainly doesn't feel like an invitation. Sometimes, that's probably true. You know, years ago when I was so depressed and couldn't get out of bed some days because life was so heavy, I it certainly didn't feel like an invitation. Um, looking back I realise now that it was but um, I guess back then I just couldn't see it I I saw the moment as something to be fought and escaped rather than you know seeing the moment as something to be embraced and met and and stayed with Um, so I think that's that's our adventure and that's our challenge and that's our our invitation is stay Mm -hmm. stay Stay. I mean, in every sense of the word, stay. Mm-hmm. Meet, meet ourselves, no matter how uncomfortable it gets or how intense the waves get, because you know there could be gold in those waves. Mm-hmm. You know, to mix metaphors, if we can just stay, if we can just stay with our experience, you know, even if the temptation is to run away, the urge is to run away, but the invitation is stay, stay with the discomfort, stay with the confusion, stay with the doubt. Because there there may be gold. There may be gold dust in that doubt. You know, there may be gold in that fear. There may be gold in that sadness. But you'll never know if you turn away. You'll never know. And and who wants to you know, I I don't want to die having never known. You know, so that that's really what I share and what I talk about, you know, in my book and in my meetings and retreats is, you know, this staying with life, you know, how do we, and how do we meet life? How do we stay with life? How do we say yes to life? And and maybe, as I suggest in my book, maybe it's not even a question of how. Maybe it's not even a question of how to stay. Maybe it's not even a question of how to meet life. Maybe it's not even a question of how to allow this moment. Maybe on a deeper level, this moment is already being allowed. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. who we are is already allowing this. So maybe it's not even a question of how. Maybe the how 
dissolves. You know, maybe in that staying with discomfort, the how dissolves, and we finally meet what we were never able to meet, and, and we mm-hmm. maybe finally we can we can rest. You know, we can rest actually in discomfort. We can rest in our pain. We can rest in our sadness. However strange and paradox- paradoxical and counterintuitive that sounds, but maybe that's where the true rest lies. Mm-hmm. It's actually in in everything that we thought we needed to run away from. Maybe that's where the true rest is hiding, like the last place you would ever look for it. You know. Now I have to say, Jeff. I love listening to you. I love talking with you. And I'm just so honored and pleased that Sounds True is working with you and that we've published this new book of yours. You know, it's so wonderful to meet a young, you could say emerging spiritual teacher in that you're not well known yet. And I think that your work is so helpful. It really brings people down to the ground and to the core and so I want to thank you and we'll have another conversation soon this I think is a good place to stop for now how does that sound well thank you so much Tabby Tabby, it's a real it's a real pleasure to um, meet you exactly (laughs) it does feel like a meeting I've been speaking with Jeff Foster he's the author of a new book It's called The Deepest Acceptance, Radical Awakening in Ordinary Life. And Jeff has also created with Sounds True a six-session audio learning series on The Deepest Acceptance. Jeff, as always, wonderful to be with you. You you make it real. Oh, thank you, Tommy. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.